Father, we thank you that in your son we have the perfect model of what it looks like to work and to receive the reward of our labor. Would you remind us of the blessings that you've entrusted us with, Father? Would you keep us from being lazy and would you remind us of the privilege that we have to emulate you in the way that we work, Father? I pray that you would help us, that you would change us, that you would restore us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you take your seat? What comes to your mind when you think about hard work? Or who comes to your mind when you think about hard work? You know, humility won't let me think about me, right? I think about my mom and my dad, right? I think about my dad, who came to a new country, did college in two and a half years while he worked full-time, got a master's, started an accounting firm, raised five kids, and then at 58 years old, as if all that stuff was not enough, 18 years ago, he planted a church while he still did all the rest of the stuff. So to this day, 74 years old, he works full-time at the firm that he started and pastors this church. Or I think about my mom, who did the same thing that my dad did, came, started school, worked hard, got done, got a master's, and then while raising five kids, went back to school and got her doctorate. Who do you think of when you think about hard work? My humility won't let me think of me. It makes me think of them. Who do you think about when you think of laziness? My pride won't let me think of me. It lets me think about somebody else. Co-workers that I've worked with, deadbeat dads. I don't tend to think about myself. Why? Because when it comes to hard work or the absence of hard work, um, I always have good excuses for why I don't work hard. I've got a doctor's note that frees me from the obligation, so it's easier for me to treat laziness as a sickness that I diagnose in somebody else and not realizing that that thing lies dormant inside of me. And so what I want to do, at least to start off, um, is convince you that you may have that same thing inside of you. Now that's not bad news. It's good news because at the end of this time, I have very good news for lazy people, but the good news only applies if you could admit the fact that this laziness creeps up on you. Um, I think when it comes to laziness, why we don't think about ourselves um, is because we tend to think about uh, vocation and not location. So we would like to look at where we have a passion, things that we feel like are important, and we would look and say, no, 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 I work hard on the things that I feel are important. I'm diligent when it comes to what matters. And we, we tend to think about if we're lazy and not location, where we're lazy, right? So we may be diligent about the things that we think are important, but everything important in your life you are not diligent about. Being lazy is not just about work. It's not just about our net worth. It's about all of life, that we work and all, all of life takes work. Your health takes work. Your relationships take work. 
Your friendship takes work. Your job takes work. Your emotional well-being takes work. All of it takes work. And remember, as we talked about wisdom here, wisdom is meant to help you and I have a skill in living. Proverbs is here to help you and I walk better in life. So regardless of where you are right now, if you're wise, one thing that you'll say is that I have not reached the pinnacle of my existence. There's still room for me to grow. And Proverbs, God's word, wants to take you there so long as you accept the diagnosis and start to look for ways where this may be true of you. So that's what I want to do with our time here today. There's four things that I want to do as we come to this text and talk about work, and that's this. I want to show you the symptoms of laziness, the source of it, the solution, and the sign that you've been cured. The symptoms, the source, the solution, and the signs that you've been cured. We put this right after last week where we talked about words, because last week we talked about words being so important, and they are, but if your words are independent, if all you have is your words, then your words are worthless. Then in the same way that our words help us to hear our hearts, what our work does is it helps you and I see our hearts. So the very first point, the first thing on your sheet here that I want you to see is this. Laziness kills. Laziness kills. It's not a victimless crime. It starts with distraction, but it ends in destruction. The diagnostic is the first step, so we want to spend time on the symptoms because what you and I know is that oftentimes you can't feel the most severe sicknesses. And when you do, they feel more like an illness than they, or they feel more like an inconvenience than they feel like death. So what Proverbs is going to do is it's going to try to help you feel the burden of laziness in two ways. Solomon is going to use both shame and sarcasm, which are effective tools to jolt people out of their complacency. Shame and sarcasm doesn't heal us of what's wrong, but it does a good job of explaining what's wrong. And here's what he does, unless you think that I'm trying to make a big deep, deep, deep deal out of this. What he's going to do, more than anywhere else in the book, Solomon is going to roast people that are lazy. He's going to spend his time roasting. Look here, right? He starts off and it says, look, it starts with distraction. Folks that are lazy, they live in a fantasy world. Look here at 26.13. The slacker says, there's a lion in the road, a lion in the public square. What he's saying is that um, you know if laziness has creeped in somehow, somewhere, if you think your excuses excuse you from hard work. This right here, there's not a contextual bridge that needs to be built here. This excuse is just as absurd then as it would be right now where somebody says, hey, I, I don't want to go to work today because uh, I'm scared that a lion might maul me. It's, it's senseless. But here's what takes place. Somebody that's gripped with laziness lives in a false world, and that means two things. One is 
They're convinced by false hardship. 26.13, right? They'll find any way that they can not to work. But then verse 14, 15, and 16 are all this. When it comes to, to work, they never start anything. So there's lots of goals, but just no plan. So what he says here is, you know, in the same way that a door is hinged, and it looks like it moves, but it never really moves out of the doorway, the lazy person is hinged to his bed. He just can't get up. So he won't start. Not just will he not start, but verse 14, go, uh, 15 says this, the slacker buries his hand in the bowl, and he's too weary to bring it to his mouth. He's dying of starvation, and he's so distracted that once he puts the, bowl, uh, the hand down into his mouth, He'll start things, but he won't finish. There's some of us in here that are good at starting things, but we don't finish. Now, the Bible would say, no, no, that's not you just being a creative. Um, that's a sign that there may be some laziness in there. Sixteen. In his own eyes, a slacker is wiser than seven who can answer sensibly. It's not just that you won't start. It's not just that we won't finish. But you won't face reality. Even when a group of people that are wise sit down with you and say, I think you're being lazy. I really think that you need to work harder. Somebody that's lazy won't face the facts. They'll live in their head and nobody can talk them out of it. Anybody that critiques them is not a friend, but a critic. So what he's saying is they, they're convinced of these false hardships, but they're consumed with false hopes. Look at 12 verses 11. It says this, the one who works his land will have plenty of food, but whoever chases fantasies lacks sense. So it's not just that they won't do anything, but when they do something else, they do the wrong thing. They don't live in a world of work. They live in a world of wishes. They're terrible at their day job because all they do is daydream while they're at their day job. Thinking that they're making progress. And what he's saying is, look, all of this starts off with just a distraction. And we know how this plays out. Right? You have something that you have to do. Get done. And what you say is, I'm hungry. I can't work on an empty stomach. And then you eat and say, Man, well, I can't work on a full stomach. I'm tired. And then you sleep and you get up and you say, all right, well, I'm rested, but I'm hungry and I can't work on an empty stomach. And, and that cycle just goes on and on and on. And so what seems like a victimless crime, just starting with distraction, here's where it leads to. First comes distraction, then what you start to find out is you experience or you're filled with disappointment. Look here at chapter 20, verse 4, the next one. The slacker does not plow during planting season. At harvest time, he looks and there's nothing. They don't show up to work, but when it's time to eat, they're first in line and there's nothing there. You yourself are disappointed, but more than that, Look here at that next one, 10 verse 5. The son who gathers during summer is prudent. The son who sleeps during harvest is 
disgraceful. It starts off and it will use that word son so that you and I see this. Um, the familial or the interdependency that work has. That we don't just work for ourselves. People are dependent on what it is that we do. So if we're faithful in our work, we fulfill the way that God has made us and we help our family, we help our friends, we help strangers that we don't know experience life here in this world. But when we don't work and when we're lazy, it may seem like a small distraction, but it's going to fill both you and everybody else that's dependent on you with disappointment, that next one, like vinegar to the teeth or smoke in the eyes is the one that's sent on an errand and doesn't come back and do what they did, right? So it starts with a distraction. It leads to disappointment, but look here at how it ends. 24, 30 to 34, and it says this, look. I went by the field of a slacker and by the vineyard of one that lacked sense. Thistles had come up everywhere. Weeds covered the ground. A stone wall was ruined. I saw and took it to heart. Look, I looked and received instruction. Look, wisdom is this. I learned the lesson not from my experience, but from somebody else's. Because I can learn the same lesson and not have to pay the price. And here's what he learned by observing the field of a slacker. That a little laziness goes a long way. A little sleep. A little slumber. A little folding of the arms to rest and poverty will come like a robber and your need like a bandit. What he's saying is that it doesn't take much. That this is not somebody that suffers from a major case of laziness. It is the man or a woman that has lived their life just making tiny compromises and excuses, an ordinary man that's made too many excuses, too many postponements. It says later, too much. And his downfall, one, one uh, author, author says this, his downfall has been as imperceptible and as pleasant as falling asleep. Laziness destroys, and here's why that takes place. Yeah, 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 science will say that this is true as well in what's called the second law of thermodynamics. And all that that is, is it says, uh, according to Wikipedia, um, it just says nothing drifts towards order. Everything in the world that we're in drifts towards disorder and decomposition. It's why if you leave an ice cube in a room, it melts. It's why if you clean a room, it gets dirty. It's why people get older and they don't get younger. It's the arrow of time that moves things towards disorder. And Christianity is going to make the same point, and it's going to call it the curse. That as a result of Adam and Eve, disobeying God, trying to find rest for their souls in something else. God cursed the work of their hands so he can work, but all that the ground is going to produce is thorns and thistles 
and frustration. It's the reason why if you don't cut your grass, it's not just that nothing grows, nothing good grows. The bad stuff's going to grow and it's going to choke it out. And this is true in every area of our lives. Everything is moving towards disorder and needs maintenance. If you don't do anything to your relationships or friendships, if you procrastinate returning calls, your relationships are going to deteriorate. If you don't do anything with your kids and let them drift towards raising themselves, you're going to have little hellions on your hands. If you don't show up for work, you're not going to have a job. If you aren't proactive in working the way that God has called you to work, in pushing back lostness and darkness in the world, injustice will prevail. Edmund Burke says this, look, the only thing that's needed for evil to triumph in the world is not for good men to, to be bad. It's for good men to do nothing. Every sphere of life is affected by this. Laziness kills us. I remember 12 years ago being um, in a courtroom, I talked about this last week, with a friend whose dad was convicted of a crime and sent to jail. And I sat there in the courtroom, and one of the things that everybody said at the end was, um, it seemed like the lawyer that was set to defend him it seemed like he didn't do his job. He just seemed unprepared. Now, I don't know what his week or his weeks look like, but his laziness possibly contributed to a family being torn apart. Laziness is not a victimless crime. It kills, but it doesn't just kill our bodies. It kills our souls. It detaches us from our humanity and dignity. When God creates the world and creates a paradise, work is a part of paradise. That's not how we think of things, right? Work is not a punishment. In God's economy, there is no paradise without work. God himself starts off the Bible working. God is a worker. Part of being made like him is that you and I were made to work and we're made to put our hands to something to cultivate. And when we don't do it, we're robbed of our purpose so much so research has shown that when people don't have work, not job, but don't have work, don't have kids to take care of, grandkids to take care of, ways to volunteer, folks to serve, when they don't have work, when they don't have any reason to get up in the morning, it's only a matter of time before they don't get up in the morning. We're created to work. So I just want you to hear this. Look, your work matters. Regardless of what you do, regardless of if you're a stay-at-home mom raising the next generation of men and women, God has placed you there to push back the thorns and thistles that are going to grow up in their character. If you work at a fast food place, God has placed you there to help men and ministers grace and taking care of folks need to eat regardless of where you work. Your work 
matters. Work is who we are. Laziness betrays the most fundamental part of our identity, and it kills. Our words may be how we hear our heart, but our work is how we see our heart. Those are the symptoms. So if you're in here and you're like, ah, yeah, well, John, I start things, but I don't finish. I'm sure somehow, somewhere you found the symptoms true of your own heart and soul. And here's what I want to share. Um, the surprising source is that when we think of being lazy, we think of passivity, not doing. But I want you to know Laziness is a crime of passion. It's not just a crime of passivity. Laziness is a crime of passion. You've heard the term labor of love. And what that means is somebody loves what they do so much that they don't have to get a paycheck. They just love and enjoy the work. Um, And that's true to an extent. The problem is everybody works for some kind of payoff. Jesus even says, like, yo, don't work for food that spoils, but work for something that does not. So what he's trying to say is that all of our work or lack of work comes from this love that we have inside. Choosing to work, or in this case, refusing to work on something is rooted in a passion. Look here under point three, 21, 25, and 6. It says this. A slacker's craving will kill him because his hands refuse to work. He is filled with craving all the day long. What he's saying here is, look, even the slacker, the person that doesn't work on something, is full of love and a craving, something that drives him to do what it is that he does. And I say the surprising source of our laziness because it starts to catch us off guard. Because both the world and the church at the time are, are, are at times misdiagnosed the source of laziness or inaction. That the world may look at somebody and say, well, he doesn't work because he's just not driven. He has no ambition. And this would say, no, no, no. He has plenty of ambition and craving, and it leads him to his refusal to work. Or the church at times may praise it and say, well, look, he doesn't spend a a bunch of time at work. He must be content. He must have humility. He must not want the material things of this world. And, And I think both of those are untrue. What this says about the person of that's lazy is this. That it's not rooted in a lack of love, but in the presence of love. Love is the thing that drives our work. It drives how we choose to work. And when we refuse to work, I think Kanye West makes this point the best. He had an album, College Dropout, which you hear those words. And and what it stirs, what it's conditioned inside of us is to think, oh, this is about laziness, right? Somebody that didn't finish what they started. The irony of it is when it comes to music, um, Kanye West for the past 15 years has been 
what seems to be one of the hardest working people in the industry who has changed a genre many times over. And so hear what he says uh, uh, in this one song that he has about a job that he had at the, the Gap that stood in the way of his dreams. Kanye says this. I'm just going to try to say it and not rabbit. It's hard for me to say it without hearing it. He says this, look, y'all don't know my struggle. Y'all can't catch my hustle. Y'all can't match my hustle. Y'all can't, what, fathom my love. Lock yourself in a room doing five beats a day for three summers. That's a different world like three summers. Look, I deserve to do these numbers. The kid that made that deserves that made back. What he says is he says, yo, I'll try to explain all. Cree Summers, Freddie from a different world. If that doesn't mean anything to you, it's fine. It's just a wordplay. But what he's saying is this. What was behind his choosing to work on something and refusal to work at this, the laziness that he had in his job, what was behind that was his love. That his love of what? What was he after? What was he what did he hope that he deserved? What was he chasing in his work? Things. Right? Status. I deserve to have the status of selling this and the records. Things. Security. I deserve this cause. And so I want you to know when faced with pressure, when faced with the frustration that comes in life, do you know what you and I do? We work and we work for that which we crave. If you want shelter and security and your biggest fear in this life is maybe fear of failure or the anxiety that comes when you have to put your hand to a task and you don't know if it's going to be good and if it's not good it just weighs down on you and it absolutely crushes your identity. Do you know what you'll do? You'll procrastinate. You'll put it off. You may sleep it off. You may not just work on it at all because the pressure is so much. And so it leads you to not doing anything. Or you work hard. And look, you can be lazy as the Bible talks about and be busy at the same time. Because being truly productive and working like God has made us to work is not just about activity, it's about attention to the right things. So much so that Christ says, no, no, listen, listen, listen. You can be busy and work hard enough to gain the whole world, but if you lose your soul, you were lazy about the things that really matter. So it doesn't matter what you get. Record sales. Cause, status, applause will not give you the rest for your soul that you're desperately trying to get. And if you chase that rest in the wrong way, do you know what you're never going to find? Rest. You're always going to be restless. Your work is going to feel like toil and it's going to feel hard. 
and you're just going to hate work while you're there, and you're going to put things off so that you can rest. And then when you rest, it's not going to be restful because you think of all the stuff that you put off that you have to get back to. And work and rest both are going to feel like these burdens. I think about Michael Jordan, who is famous for his work ethic. When I grew up, I read all these books, right? I stole a book from the library in 2001 that I, I still have in my house to this day. Um, and, and it was all about how hard that he worked, and I was so impressed by it. Until I got older and found out uh, it cost him his family. He was successful in all of the wrong things. I want you to know, it's not just the universe that is moving to tear itself apart. You and I that are part of that same fallen universe the cravings that we have on the inside are moving to collapse us from the inside out. And I think we see the seriousness of a problem by the solution that's provided. You go to a hospital and they tell you to go home and take some pills. It's probably not that bad. You go to a hospital and they tell you you need surgery when you see that it's really bad. When we think about our laziness, it is not a victimless crime. It kills, it destroys, and I want you to know, it will kill and destroy us and everybody that depends on us. But this is the good news that I have for people that will admit that they're lazy. If laziness kills, point two right here is Jesus heals. Creation is a story of God's work. Creation craved something that was not God, turned in on itself, was cursed. And listen, had God not done anything to repair creation, he would not have been lazy because he had no obligation to. That's what makes redemption, that's what makes the gift of Jesus such good news. Because God had no obligation to do this project of restoring what was messed up, and he did in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the opposite of lazy, y'all. He's the model of diligence. John 4, 34, it says this. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus comes to earth with a mission to work in such a way that as we look at his life, you and I see God's heart. And so the Bible is clear, routinely, while people are hinged to their beds, Jesus gets up in the morning to start his work, first and foremost, with God the Father, and he prays. Then in John 4, where this verse comes from, Jesus had been working. He gets to a place, and the, God's word says he's exhausted, and he sits down, and the disciples are so tired that they go to take a load off, get some food. And Jesus keeps working. He breaks social, economic, spiritual, society boundaries and uses his words to talk to a woman to show her the work that God has done for her. 
And when the disciples come back and say, Jesus, aren't you tired? Don't you need to eat? What he says is, I've got food that y'all don't know anything about. What fills me up is not just rest, is not getting away from the toil in this world. What fills me up is doing the work that God sent me here to do. The end of the gospel, John 17, 4, he prays, he says this, look, I have glorified you on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Jesus didn't just start God's work, he finished it. So much so that when he's done with this, he goes to the garden of Gethsemane before he's going to do God's work. And what he does is he gives the disciples work, a task to do. Y'all help me out. Just stay awake. Jesus takes the anxiety and it drives him down to pray. They take it and do you know what they do? They sleep. They're hinged. Jesus gets up, goes to the cross, and what he does on the cross is he pushes back the curse in the truest sense of the way. Here's what I mean. The Bible says laziness will kill. What comes up here is that somebody's inattention to pushing back the curse means that thorns and thistles will come up. When Jesus gets on the cross, before he gets on the cross, do you know what they do? They crown him king of the lazy people. They take thorns and thistles, this sign of a curse, they put it on his head to crown him. Do you know what they do to him? They mock him. The shame and sarcasm that we see here in Proverbs was cast on Jesus, the person that started God's work and finished God's work. They gave him sour wine which folks believe is wine mixed with vinegar that's bitter to the teeth of those that are sent out to do an errand and don't come back. Jesus finished God's work and he tasted with his mouth the displeasure that comes from being lazy. But Jesus shows that he's God in the flesh. Do you know why? Because like God, on the cross, John 19, 30, when Jesus had received the south of the wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. We know that Jesus was crucified on a Friday, the sixth day of the week. Like God, he finished his work on the sixth day. And do you know what he did on the seventh day? He rested in the grave. His work was done. And then at the start of a new week, he rose with all power to proclaim to everybody that was lazy and felt the destruction that would come from it, you don't have to pay for your laziness. Jesus did. The death that we earned was placed on him. The hardest working man to live experienced the destruction of fools. Jesus becomes a model of the diligent. Look here at Proverbs 21, 26, and it says this. Yo, the fool is filled with craving all day long. But the righteous gives and does not hold back. Do you know what Jesus did on the cross? He gave and he didn't hold back. Look at Titus 2, 14. What did he give? Not just stuff. He gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people for his own possession, eager 
to do good works. Laziness kills. Our world is heading towards a decline. God puts us here to work to push it back. We contribute to the evil when we don't work in the way that God has left us here to do. Jesus comes and heals. He pays the debt that you and I owed to God. And he doesn't just stop there, but he fills us with the satisfaction that comes from knowing that the job, the obligation that we have to God has been completed. Jesus has done the heavy lifting so that you and I can be those that don't work for our rest, but those that work from our rest. That don't work to get status and approval and acclaim, but we know that God who has all of that has provided it to us freely in what Christ has done so you and I can be diligent in how he's called us to live. And that last point is just this. Diligence fills. It, it, it doesn't take. It gives. Look there at 21-26. Slacker is filled with craving. All day long. But the righteous, they give and don't hold back. Here's what I mean, the diligence fails. I want you to hear this. The diligence that Jesus purchased on the cross, that now he fills you and I with, it's not the way that you and I earn our status with him. We don't work hard. And try really, really hard so that we can be what he's called us to be here in the world. Right? We receive this gift by faith. And the outflow of our faith, the outcome, is this hard work. The reason why it's this hard work is this. We aren't those that spend our time working for satisfaction. Because in Christ we have all the satisfaction that we need. What more could we want? While the rest of the world works to chase status or finds themselves lazy because they fear that their work won't mount up, you and I are a group of people that are secure in the love that has been purchased for us by our God and Father. And so as those that are content, those of us that have our fill, we find out that we actually need less of the stuff that we have. And we're free to give more of that stuff. So Paul's going to say this point. Yo, for the Christian, let he who stole steal no more. But let him work. Why? So that he can be content? No. Let him work so that he can provide for the needs of those that don't have anything. So that those that don't have anything, that may have been lazy themselves, those that don't have anything, that may be the cause or that may be the results of oppression and may need to steal the way that those needs are met is by God leaving you and I here in this world, those of us who have it all, to give it away freely. Our self-centeredness is replaced with an others-centeredness as we're filled with a sense of God's goodness. So chapter 20, verse 13 becomes true of us. Don't love sleep or you will become poor. Look at what he says. But open your eyes and you'll have enough to eat. All that's talking about. The diligent 
are people that are faithful. Are people that aren't concerned with outcomes, aren't concerned with results. Because they know those who rely on God, but they are those that don't shut their eyes to the needs of the world, but just open their eyes and get up. That are just faithful, that just show up. That get to work on time. That when they are at work, they work hard regardless of what they do. Regardless of if your job is fast food while everybody else in the world is lazy and is daydreaming instead of being concerned about their day job. We still daydream, but we give our time to work hard for the good of those that we serve, knowing that in that way we're contributing to the way that God wants to preserve the world and push back darkness, but also excellence honors God and it inspires people, y'all. It helps people see and look and, and, and say, how is it that we make the same income? That our jobs are just as burdensome. And I always seem restless. But you seem rested. It gives us a chance, even on our job, as our work shows our heart, to say, Ah, because I have food that you don't know anything about. I've got a source of contentment that doesn't come with the work that I do from my hands. And in so doing, we don't just avoid death, but we bring life. Y'all Christians should be the hardest working people on the face of the planet because we have Everything that we need. And our work is not to gain anything. It's just worship unto the Lord. So with that, start your business. Start it. Don't just have a, don't just have a goal. Right? A goal without a plan, that's what we call a wish. Have a plan. And when you have that plan, Connect your work, not just to profit, but connect your work to God's plan to maintain, sustain, and bring life here to this world. And when you do, what you find out is that that love for self, that love for comfort is replaced by this deep love to contribute and to give, to share in this world the same way that God has. A lazy Christian is an oxymoron. But all of your work or your lack thereof is a labor of love. So when we find ourselves slacking, we don't grit our teeth and say work harder. When we find ourselves slacking, we ask ourselves, who am I loving in my sleep? Who am I loving in my grinding? And we say, Lord, help me to love you. And we pray and we trust that we'll be filled. And we get to work. Get to work for the glory of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your work in your son, Jesus. We ask that you would fill us 
with the contentment that comes from knowing that the greatest debt that we owe, it's been paid off by somebody else's work, not ours. I pray that we would rest in that contentment and that you would help us be those that get to work and then rest knowing that the outcomes belong to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.